Good morning, my name is Mabel Robison. Our scripture passage comes from the book of John, chapter 2, verses 13 through 22. Dear God, I pray that our hearts and our minds would be opened as we read this passage. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. He found in the temple those who were selling cattle, sheep, and doves, as well as those involved in exchanging currency sitting there. He made a whip from ropes and chased them all out of the temple, including the cattle and the sheep. He scattered the coins and overturned the tables of those who exchanged currency. He said to the dove sellers, Get these things out of here. Don't make my father's house a place of business. His disciples remembered that it is written, Passion for your house consumes me. Then the Jewish leaders asked him, By what authority are you doing these things? What miraculous sign will you show us? Jesus answered, Destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. The Jewish leaders replied, It took 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days? But the temple Jesus was talking about was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered what he had said, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. And thank you for reading our scripture passage for today. Again, that was John chapter 2, verses 13 through 22, and that was the Common English Bible Version. And uh, we are in the third week of Lent. Lent is a time, the 40 days and six Sundays, where the church uh, walks alongside Jesus on the path to the cross as we head towards and look forward to rising again with Jesus at Easter and so Easter's coming upon us, and uh, so excited for that. Um, if I were to ask a random group of people, is there such a thing as privilege? Privilege. Do some people have privilege more than other people? Regardless of race, I believe most people would say, yes, privilege exists. Society favors those who have wealth, those who have status, those who have come from powerful families, who have good bloodlines, those who have power and title. But if I were to ask, is there such a thing as white privilege? White privilege. That may be more controversial. There may no doubt be a more diversity of answers. If you're woke, quote unquote woke, you'll say, yeah, for sure there's white privilege. If you're a white person living in poverty, uh, you may say, no, I'm not experiencing privilege. Uh, if you're a highly educated, well-off Asian-American professional, you may also say no. And if you're a privileged, progressive white person, you may say yes. Privilege is a matter, a measure of access. White privilege is a term recognizing that in our American society, things are built by and favor the dominant culture. And in our society, in the US, the dominant culture is white. Uh, back in the day, and you may have done this in the past, uh, in InterVarsity, we used to talk about race and we would have uh, something that's called Race Matters, where we have family time discussions about race and racial reconciliation and racial disparities. And we would try to teach the students about white privilege. What is white privilege? Does it exist 
does it not? And one of the ways uh, things that we would do is a, a white privilege test where you get people out uh, and physically uh, line up on a line and ask a series of questions. And based on uh, the answer from that individual's perspective and life experience to the question, uh, they would either take a step forward or take a step back for, or take a step backward. And so in doing this, uh, the end result is some people would end up being further along in the quote-unquote race, and other people will be further back based on their life experiences. And this would be a way to show perhaps that what there is such a thing as white privilege. So the questions that would be asked were, would be something like, the books I read at school rarely have characters that share the same skin color as me. Or, in the movies I watch, the characters who share the same skin color with me are rarely the heroes of the movie. Uh, in the history I have studied in school, my ancestors are not given much attention or credit. Another question that may be asked is, in the news, the people who share the same skin color as me are often portrayed as poor, helpless, and are dangerous. Take a step back or take a step forward. In our present context, we can add to those questions. We may ask the question of, by race, who is more likely to have gotten COVID-19? Or by race, who is more likely to have gotten the vaccine? By race, who is more likely to be in a prison cell? Or by race, who has access to land and property and natural resources today? My point is, access to flourishing, to education, to healthcare, to the justice system, to the building of wealth, to examples of models, uh, human models of to aspire after, heroes, to positions of leadership, are all measures of privilege. If you have access, more access than other people, then you are privileged. And so access, is a measure of privilege. What you do have access and don't have access to, what groups have access to something or don't have access to something. And here in John, we have the story of Jesus' temple cleansing. And actually, this is an episode, the temple cleansing, that occurs in all four Gospels. But in John's Gospel, John's Gospel is unique from the other synoptic Gospels in that Jesus' temple cleansing comes here at the beginning, here in chapter 2 of the Gospel of John, right after Jesus' very first sign or miracle, whereas in the other three Gospels, the Synoptic Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the temple cleansing comes at the end, after Jesus' arrival in Jerusalem. And in those Gospels, the temple cleansing is the catalyst or the impotence, the last straw that broke the camel's back uh, for him to get arrested, right? Um, as a side note, do you know uh, what in the Gospel of John is the catalyst or the last straw that gets Jesus arrested? The last straw in John is the raising of Lazarus. After Jesus raises Lazarus, that's when um, the religious leaders are upset and they arrest him and leads to his ultimate crucifixion. Um, so, the 
The question is, why does John change the location of the cleansing of the temple? Where this is located tells us what's important to John theologically. So let's take a look at the context. This follows right after, as I mentioned, Jesus' first miracle. And Jesus' first miracle was what? They were at a wedding party, and in those days, in, in Jewish culture, weddings didn't last for just four hours on a Saturday night or afternoon. Weddings were a week-long thing. It was a celebration that lasted days and days. And you can imagine if you're the host of this wedding celebration that lasts days and days and the expectation is for good food and good drink, right? Then you would be like, oh, I need to use the best wine or the best drink in the beginning so when people are don't care anymore later during the party, you know, then we put the bad stuff out, right? And Jesus' first, first miracle was to turn water into wine so that a party could continue, so that the wedding celebration could continue because the host runs out of wine, which is a big deal. He's like, oh my gosh, I run out of the thing that people are helping people celebrate. I ran out of the, the most important thing and Jesus turns a bunch of containers of water into wine. And not only is it just regular wine, he just turns it into wine. He does it in a way, in a lavish way. The wine that is drunk, that Jesus changed the water into, is the best quality wine, right? What does this tell us? That Jesus has the power, right, to do miracles, to change the material world to transform water into wine. But more than that, Jesus' miracle helps to keep the fun going. Amen? Jesus' miracle helps keep the alcohol at the party. <gasps> right? Another way to put it is Jesus becomes the source of life. Right? When the party's in crisis, when the celebration is about to end because they ran out of wine, Jesus continues the party. Jesus becomes the source of new life. And that's what we see theologically throughout John. In John, the theological emphasis is on the signs of Jesus. Jesus is the wine, the bread, the vine. Jesus is the I am. Um, I am the bread of life. I am the living water. I am the good shepherd. In John chapter 2, while not explicit, Jesus is saying, I am the life of the party, and I am the real presence of God in your midst. And here in our passage, he's stating, I am the temple of God. I am the presence of the living God among you. And this is a huge move. And this no doubt angers the temple leaders, right? It messes with the temple system because they're like, hey, how dare you say you're going to destroy this temple and raise it up again? It took 46 
years to build this temple up and you're gonna do it in three days? Come on now. This is an institution of our faith. This is the establishment of our faith. The temple is the most glorious piece, right? It's the height of righteousness. The priests are the very important people and literally, the temple was built in layers, right? From inner to outer. And the most inner part of the temple was the Holy of Holies. Only the priests could go into the Holy of Holies and intercede with God on behalf of the people. And then there are the outer courts where the regular people would come and worship and hang out with God. And then even outside of that, the outer layer was the court of the Gentiles. This is where Gentiles, who were God-fearers, who wanted to worship God, but were not Jewish by blood, could come. It's the only place that they could be in the temple. And actually, we know from um, different discoveries, archaeological discoveries, that they found stones or corner pieces from the temple that were inscribed, no Gentiles beyond this point or you will surely die. So Gentiles were held on the outside court. If they went past that, they would surely die. They would surely die. And I think what's happening here is that John is emphasizing who Jesus is, and John is pointing towards God's love for his people. God is creating a new way to access relationship with him. God is creating a new path of intimacy and connection with him. And what we see here is that Jesus gets very passionate. You may say, or the scripture says, angry. <laughs> he gathers a whip of cords and chases away the money changers and overturns tables. A lot of people like to call this righteous anger, right? Jesus is upset that access is being denied. And we're given, John gives the uh, very detail that this has happened during the Passover. And during the Passover, the population of Jerusalem would swell, right? Double, triple, quadruple, because many people from many lands would come into Jerusalem to make their sac ritual sacrifices in the temple. And not only are these Jews from the diaspora, but also God-fearing Gentiles, right? And we know from the Old Testament that concessions were already made by God for welcoming in the stranger and the Gentile into the community of faith. And so there are Gentiles who are worshiping and coming in um, during the Passover into Jerusalem. And so it was common practice because it was written in Leviticus that animals were to be sacrificed. So naturally, in the courts of the temple, there are merchants, there are tables of people, and they're selling chickens or sheep or whatever, um, rich, uh, animals that were used in ritual sacrifice. So they're following the tradition of scripture. They're following the rules, if you will, the, the, the cultic rites um, of worshiping God. What's the big problem? 
We should also note that in the Synoptic Gospels, there is a difference um, in the Synoptic Gospels to uh, John's, um, John's replaying of this event. Not only is it located in a different place, but in the Synoptic Gospels, Jesus says, do not change my father's house. Do not turn my father's house into a den of robbers. Right? The emphasis here is something corrupt is happening. You guys are cheating people in some way. You guys are preventing people from having free access. Here in John, he doesn't say a den of robbers. He says, don't turn my father's house into a marketplace. There's not necessarily the connotation or the implication that something corrupt or shady is happening. But I think once again, as we see um, from the miracle of the wine, Jesus is providing life to the party. Jesus is giving, saying, I am the source, right, for connection, access to God. And so no longer is this temple or the cultic ritual going to be the way that we worship God. We see this later in John chapter 4 with the woman at the well. A time is coming and it's now here when people will worship in spirit and truth, right? My people are going to worship and spirit and truth through me, through knowing Jesus Christ, through knowing the great I am. I am the way, the life, and the truth. I am the bread of life. I am the living water. Come to me. I am the way to God. I am your connection with God. You don't have to go through these motions. You don't have to go through these rituals. Right? In fact, the temple system, these rituals, are privileged. Just as we talked about white privilege earlier, every, every preference or every, every ritual we do is not immune, right? Is inevitably connected to culture, is culturally influenced. We can take the temple and, and apply it to our churches today in the U.S., Right? You can say, oh, this is how we worship. This is the way to worship. You must do this and this to be clean, or you must do this and this to be righteous and true. But oftentimes the, say, the things that we say are righteous or non-negotiable are actually enculturated. Right? We, we bring our culture into the church. Rain Wilson, uh, famous for being in The Office, the comedy The Office, um, has this quote on Twitter. The metamorphosis of Jesus Christ from a humble servant of the abject poor to a symbol that stands for gun rights, property, prosperity theology, anti-science, limited government that neglects the destitute, and fierce nationalism is truly the strangest transformation in human history. Basically, he's saying, how did we, how did the church become this? If Jesus is about being a servant for the poor, how did our churches become about nationalism, about America, or this or this? Because we've allowed privilege and the dominant culture to infiltrate the church and make it a marketplace 
for American nationalism and triumphalism. And this is the way that Jesus is speaking to the temple system at, in his time, that you've made it about an, ac an access point for a certain group of people who are determined as clean and pure while others are kept on the outside. But I'm bringing something new. I've brought the new wine to the wedding celebration, right? I am the source of life. I am the source of good news. I am the source of connection to the real presence of God. And so we're going to wipe this building down and the temple is going to be destroyed. But what Jesus is referring to is, I am the temple. I am the word become flesh. We hear that in John chapter 1, one chapter before. Right? The word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is God's loving plan to walk with us, to be with us, to let the people come, to let the children come. None of these, this human-made obstacles, the human-made barriers that separate this, these people from this people or make this people more, have more privileged access to worship to God. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whoever, whoever would trust in him will have eternal life. Whoever. And perhaps this should challenge us, church. And I think it's especially vital and important and made clear during these times when we haven't been meeting in person in the church building, right? What does it mean to be the church? Are we missing out because we're not meeting together? Or are we missing out because we're not in the same place? Um, a lot of churches have been asking these questions like, yes, we'll wear masks, we'll reopen, we'll wear masks and come into the church and worship. But the government can't make us not sing. That the government is overstepping, right? So we're gonna sing whether they like it or not. And it's a big question, like if singing is one of the most ancient practices of worship, like what does it mean that we're told not to sing? And I contend, like, what does it mean to have communion virtually? <laughs> what does it mean to sing in our homes and not together? Does that mean we're not worshiping legitimately? That's, does that mean we're not worshiping at all? And there's a lot of things that we, because of our culture, attach to church or attach to worship, whether it's you must worship in a building, right? you must worship with this kind of music, these are all encultured practices. And what Jesus is conveying is, but the non-negotiable, right? The bottom line is that God wants to be with people and God wants his people to worship him. And how, let's open that up, right? Let's take away, um, the obstacles and the shackles 
that define what is righteousness, whether that's nationalism, whether that's race and ethnicity. All of these things are made by human hands. Come, Jesus is the temple. We are the church. Hashtag be the church. Right? Oftentimes, we think that church is a place that we go to experience God. But I wonder if we should change our perspective and imagine that church is a place we're sent from, right? In order to partner and be with God in our everyday life, in our workplaces, in our homes, in our schools, in our community gardens, out there. That, that church isn't an inner holy of holies that we come in. This is the place to only to meet God, but this is a place what that's a launching pad. It's the mission control center where we're sent out to be missional, to be the church out there. And I believe the stay at home, this time of stay at homeness during the pandemic and the church not meeting necessarily in a building has not been um, a taking away of rights. That's not the emphasis, but an opportunity for us to recapture what it means to be the church wherever and whatever context we are in, to be the church out there, to be sent, to be a sent people, a church without walls, but a a, a people sent um, as um, children and disciples of Christ to be the church in our community. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you um, that we are beneficiaries of the gift of your presence, that you, your desire is to meet with us and for us to meet with you, and that that's a free gift for all people, all of your children. And I pray that we wouldn't attach ourselves to rigid or kind of located um, means of worship or being with you, um, but that we would be the church sent by you um, into the world. I pray that we can be the church in this time and moving forward. Jesus' name, amen.